thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, we live in a culture where people love to share their opinions uh, on different things, and the opportunity to share your opinion has uh, uh, greatly uh, grown since the start of social media when you post something on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram or any social media outlet, you know, you almost always get a comment of someone's opinion on your post. I mean, you could be posting a picture of your breakfast, still someone's going to probably give some kind of comment to it. And and you're going to get comments on things that you weren't asking comments for. You're going to get opinions even though you really weren't wanting opinions. And, you know, because we live in a culture where people like to give their opinions and now we have this platform where everyone can give their opinion whenever they want. And so, you know, we have this reality where, you know, people are always constantly sharing with us, you know, things that they feel, things that they think, you know, when we have decisions that we have to make, you know, people love to kind of chime in with their two cents. And, and something I think we need to understand is that all of us face on a regular basis decisions that come our way, situations where we have to make a decision and we're not sure what to decide. We're not sure what God has for us. We're not sure what it is that he wants. And it could be, you know, a decision to quit your job and pursue a new career. It could be a decision to accept an out-of-town or overseas job, a, a decision to move your family somewhere, a decision to, you know, what college to go to, whom to marry, what house to buy, what car to buy, what church to go to, where to serve, what ministry to pursue. You know, we have all these different things that face us and decisions that are coming before us, and sometimes we're just not sure, you know, what should we decide? What is it that God has for us? And as we're hopefully as Christians wanting to say, Lord, what is it that you want? Where is it that you want me to go? What decision do you want me to make? It's in that moment as we're seeking God's direction that we're often bombarded with opinion after opinion after opinion of other people who want to kind of chime in to our life and to the circumstances we're in and the decisions we're trying to make. And the thing that we need to understand is that we're all going to have people who share with us things that are ungodly, things that are unbiblical, things that are not what God has for us. And we're going to hopefully have people who are going to share things that are biblical, things that are godly, things that you know God is speaking through them into our life. And we're going to be in that place where we have to determine which is which. Which person's opinion is godly and biblical? Which person's opinion is ungodly and unbiblical? Which person is, has God sent to speak to me? And which person is just giving their opinion and it's just man's opinion and it's not something that God wants me to listen to? Now, the reason I've shared this is because as we come here to Acts chapter 21 this morning, this is really what Paul is dealing with. He has many people sharing different opinions with him, and he's going to now have to determine, are these people speaking on behalf of God? Are they sharing something that God wants me to take from them? Or are they just giving their own opinion? Are they just sharing their own thoughts? And he's going to kind of have to determine which is which 
which we all face, which we all have to do. And in order to set the stage for what happens here with Paul and the opinions that he gets, we need to remind ourselves of something that we looked at in chapter 20. See, Paul already knew what awaited him. He was heading to Jerusalem. And I want you to note a couple of verses that we looked at in detail before, but just a reminder to help us understand what's coming with these opinions that he faces. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, we're told this, And see, now I go bound in spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now remember, Paul says, I'm bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't just have this desire in and of himself. It just isn't Paul's thing of like, you know, I really want to go to Jerusalem and suffer tribulations and chains. No, he has the Spirit leading him there. He knows he's called there. He knows he has a calling from God to go to the Jews in Jerusalem and proclaim the gospel. But as we studied this, we noted three main things that Paul knew as he was approaching this reality. First, he knew that a big problem awaited him, change in tribulation. Second, Paul shares with us how he responds to that big problem. He says, I don't allow it to move me. And then third, he gave us three reasons why he was able to not allow it to move him. First, because he valued his relationship and ministry for Jesus more than his own life. Second, because he cared more about finishing the race God had given him than the problems that come along the way. And third, because he was willing to be faithful with what God had called him to do, even if it meant tribulation. Now, that understanding that Paul recognizes what's coming, he knows what's coming, he's been told over and over, change and tribulation await you when you get to Jerusalem, it sets the stage now for what we're going to see with what he's going to have to deal with here in Acts 21. And so he's journeying towards Jerusalem. Every city, we're told, the Holy Spirit is prophesying, speaking through people, hey, Paul, chains and tribulation await you when you get to Jerusalem. But it doesn't stop Paul. He keeps on moving towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And here in chapter 21, Paul's going to continue his uh, journey towards Jerusalem. And we're going to see that Paul's going to come across many people who are going to try to convince him, don't go. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And he's going to have to determine, is this God or is this man? Is the Lord telling me not to go? Or are people just sharing their opinion of what they feel because I'm going to suffer chains and tribulation? So Paul's going to have to decide which opinion is which and we're going to see with Paul's situation that people can be well-meaning you know sometimes we think oh you know people are just trying to you know throw things at us to you know be rude or be mean or, or to you know deceive us and there are that percentage of people that we deal with but a lot of people are just well-meaning they love us they, they they want what's best and they think that what they're sharing their advice or their opinion is what's best for us and so in those situations it's even harder because when you know the person loves you you know they want what's best for you you know then you really have to determine you know are they sharing with me what God has for me or not And that's the kind of group that Paul's faced with. He's not, you know, getting opinions from people that hate him. He's getting opinions from people that love him. And so we're going to have to see how he responds and what takes place. Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 1, says this. Now it came to pass that when he had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos. The following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, 
And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. Then Paul told, uh, then they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied with us, with wives and children, till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When he had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. So Paul, he was in Miletus. He was sharing this message to the elders in the church in Ephesus. And now he's leaving Miletus. And remember, his ultimate goal is to get to Jerusalem. And he starts journeying more towards Jerusalem. He goes to several different cities. He finally gets on a boat that takes him to Tyre. And as you can see from the map, Tyre is now getting quite close to Jerusalem. He's getting closer and closer as this journey progresses. And and while he's there in Tyre, he and his companions, they stay seven days with some believers there in the city of Tyre. And I want you to note what these believers in Tyre tell Paul. Verse 4 tells us, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now we've already noted that in every city up to this point, Paul comes and he gets the same message through the Holy Spirit, speaking through people. Paul, change and tribulation await you in Jerusalem. Next city, change and tribulation, wait you in Jerusalem. Another city, change and tribulation, wait you in Jerusalem. And now he comes to Tyre, and we see a new message. The message is, Paul, don't go. It's been a continual change and tribulation, await you, and now we hear these believers in Tyre say, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, as we're going to see that Paul's not going to believe or follow this message to stop and say, okay, I'm not going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to continue on to Jerusalem. So that means either Paul is blatantly disobeying the Holy Spirit, who is telling him not to go to Jerusalem, or the people in Tyre did not give Paul the actual message that the Holy Spirit spoke. Most commentators believe, and I would agree with them, that the specific warning not to go up to Jerusalem was a human interpretation of the Holy Spirit's prophecy, which was probably consistent to what he's been saying. Change and tribulation await you. Change and tribulation await you. They hear the same thing and they think, change and tribulation await you. Paul, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. You see, throughout the whole time we see this message, but here in Tyre we have something different. They say, don't go. Now, I'm sure if Many of us heard the message that change and tribulation awaited us or awaited someone that we love in the next city that they were going to or headed to. We would think that's a warning not to go. Hey, danger's approaching. This is coming. So, you know, it's a natural thing for us to think, okay, if problems are coming, then that must be a warning of don't go there because difficulty awaits. And so most commentators believe that these believers entire interpret the message that change and tribulation await Paul to mean Paul don't go to Jerusalem, and that's what they ultimately tell him. Now, the reason most commentators believe this was their interpretation instead of the actual message is because throughout the book of Acts, we've seen that Paul has been clearly led by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go, he responds by not going. We don't see Paul as this guy who just says, whatever you say, Holy Spirit, I don't care. I'm just going to go where I want to go. If you remember back in this, the book of Acts, we saw the Holy Spirit say no when Paul wanted to go to Asia. He had a heart to go to Asia, and Paul says, okay, I'm not going to head there. Then he tries to go to Bithynia. 
What happens? The Holy Spirit once again says, no, you're not going to go to Bithynia. And Paul doesn't say, well, forget it. I'm going to Bithynia because I'm set on going to Bithynia. I don't care what you say. No, he stops. He's obedient. He follows what the Holy Spirit leads. He goes where the Holy Spirit directs them. And so it doesn't seem with what we've seen with Paul that he's someone who would be like, well, I don't care if the Holy Spirit's saying not to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go there anyway. Second, Paul said in chapter 20 that he was bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Not, I have this desire to go to Jerusalem and that's why I'm going. No, the Spirit of God is leading me and calling me. He's the one binding me to go to Jerusalem. It's Him who's given me this purpose and direction to go there. And so it would seem odd that the Holy Spirit has said, all right, Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem. And now he's going to say, no, Paul, you're not going to go to Jerusalem. Those are kind of, you know, two very different messages. And then in chapter 23... We're told that the Lord encouraged Paul concerning his decision to go to Jerusalem. Acts 23, verse 11, we're told, But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So here the Lord encourages Paul with the fact that he testified of Jesus in Jerusalem. Now, if he'd ever wanted him in Jerusalem, then it would seem odd to say, you know, I'm really happy that you went there and defied me and did what I told you not to do. He's encouraging him that you did this because I led you there. So those are three of the main reasons that commentators believe that these disciples in Tyre have interpreted the message that change and tribulation await Paul to mean, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. So actually, instead of telling him the actual message, they just give their interpretation of it. Now, you might think, well, why would these disciples, you know, try and warn Paul not to go? Why not just give the actual message? And, you know, if you put yourself in the position of these people who love Paul, the Spirit of God reveals to you, Paul, if he continues on this path, he's going to suffer. It's going to be horrible. He might even die. And the thought towards you who love him is just, Paul, don't go. Don't do this. Don't go through this. You know, we might never see you again. I mean, it's a natural thing to respond this way. So it's not like, how dare you people in Tyre do this? It's a common thing when you love someone to say, I don't want you to go through difficulty. I don't want you to go through tribulation. I don't want you to go through chains. Stay away from there. But you know what? Sometimes a warning about danger is just to prepare us for what is coming, not to keep us from going. Sometimes... A warning about danger is to prepare us for what is coming, not to keep us from going. You know, we have this when we drive. As you're driving, you might see signs that say danger, icy road ahead, or a sign that says falling rocks, or, you know, danger, you know, there's deer crossing here. These signs aren't saying, stay off this road, don't go down here, turn around and go back. No, they're saying, you need to be prepared Up ahead, it's icy, so slow down. Up ahead, there might be some rocks falling or some crazy deers running across the path there. So be aware, keep your eyes peeled, drive slowly. You know, it's not saying don't go. It's saying be prepared that there is danger ahead. And I think this is something that we need to recognize as well because sometimes a warning about danger is just to prepare us for what is coming, not to keep us from going. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit has been doing city after city after city for Paul, preparing him. Paul, what's coming is going to be really difficult. You just need to get ready for that. You need to be prepared for that. Not what's coming is difficult, so don't go. It's a preparation, not something to keep him. And so these believers in Tyre tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, you know, Paul has to determine, is this advice from the Lord? Or isn't it? Is God saying not to go, even though he's been telling me to go, even though I'm bound by the Spirit to go? Is this from the Lord or not? 
Well, depending on how you view, you know, what these people in Tyre are saying, you're either going to see Paul as someone who's very disobedient to the Lord, who's not following the Holy Spirit, who's just kind of blatantly going against him, or you're going to see, uh, as I look at and most commentators do, that, you know, those in Tyre are just interpreting a message of change and tribulation to say, Paul, don't go. Well, Paul is going to come and he's going to encounter a similar situation in the next place he gets to. Let's see what it is. Acts 21, verses 7 through 10 says this. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to uh, Paulimus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Okay, so now they leave Tyre, and they travel to Caesarea. As you can see, Caesarea is on the coast there, but they're getting a little bit closer to Jerusalem. They're one step closer to you know, all the chains and tribulations that happen. As they're in this city of Caesarea, they come to a man's house named Philip. We're told he's Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. If you remember back in Acts chapter 6, remember the widows, they weren't being taken care of uh, the way that they should, and they said, you know what, appoint seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to oversee this. Stephen was one of those guys, remember him, he was the first martyr, but Philip was another one of these seven individuals, and now we come across the path of Philip again, we haven't heard from him since, but notice the title that he has now, so it seems in Caesarea one of his big uh, ministry roles is he's an evangelist, because he's called Philip the Evangelist. And also, I think it's kind of an interesting little side note because Luke just shares this stuff with us and then just moves on. But he has four virgin daughters, we're told, who prophesy. And I just think it's cool that, you know, Philip and his whole family are serving the Lord. He's there in Caesarea as an evangelist. His, his daughters are there, and the Lord's using them to prophesy to people. Uh, and it's kind of just this random thing that nothing else is said because they don't prophesy for Paul. Uh, but there is someone who comes, this prophet by the name of Agabus, he comes down from Judea to where Paul is, and that's what I want us to note, because what he says uh, is very significant. Notice what he says in verse 11. When Agabus had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Agabus is a known prophet from God. He's been someone that God speaks words through to people. And so he comes and he has a word for Paul. And he comes up to Paul and he takes Paul's belt and then he binds his own hands and his own feet, this very picturesque thing for Paul to see. And then he tells Paul something. He says, thus says the Holy Spirit. Now notice the people in Tyre didn't say that. They didn't say, thus says the Holy Spirit of God. They just kind of gave their thoughts. But here's a man who says, this is a word specifically from the Lord. So so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, obviously it's Paul's belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, interestingly, this is a very almost identical message to what Paul's been hearing. What has he been hearing? Chains and tribulation await you. What does he see now? You're going to be bound. Well, how are you bound? Chains. You know, so you know, he recognizes now this very visual thing. Agabus is saying, the man who owns his belt, you're going to have this happen in Jerusalem. Paul's heard this already. He knows this already, but this is consistent to the message that the Spirit of God has continued to share with them. But notice Agabus does not tell Paul that, um, you know what, don't go to Jerusalem. 
Now, if the Holy Spirit did speak to the people in Tyre and said, Paul, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem, it would seem that with Agabus, you would want to reiterate that message. Paul, you shouldn't go. Agabus doesn't say don't go. Agabus just tells him, Paul, the man who wears this, guess what? You're going to be bound. You're going to be delivered to the Gentiles. Be ready. If you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. And as we're going to see, that's a true prophecy. It's fulfilled. That takes place. Paul goes through this. But it never tells him not to go. But notice the advice because the message is you're going to be bound. Just like the message. Change and tribulation await you. But notice the companions of Paul in verse 12, just like those entire, kind of interpret things the way that they feel. Verse 12 says this. Now when they heard these things, as in the message that Agabus gave, both we, that's including Luke, and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. So the prophecy from Agabus is true. This is going to happen, but notice the response. The response isn't, you know what, Paul, God's called you. And just be faithful. We know that these difficult things are going to come. We've served with you a while. You've gone through a lot of hardship. We encourage you just to continue on. All they say is, don't go. That's not what the Agabus told him. That was their response. Because you're going to deal with this difficulty, Paul, please, we don't want to see you bound. We don't want to see you delivered over to the Gentiles. So don't go. That additional word for Paul not to go to Jerusalem was not in the prophecy from Agabus. That was just their own interpretation, their own response to what they see going to happen to Paul. These believers love Paul. They didn't want these bad things to happen to him. They didn't want to see him go through these difficulties. And when they just think about that reality, they're just pleading with him, Paul, please don't go this. Don't do this. Don't go there. We don't want to have to see you endure these things. And and notice how Paul responds to this advice that they give him in verse 13. What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? It was already hard enough, I'm sure, for Paul to journey to Jerusalem with clear knowledge that change and tribulation await me. He knew that this might be the end for him. He knew that the people who hate him the most are there in Jerusalem. These Jews that have been trying to kill him all over the world, they're there in the hub of Judaism. They want his head on a platter. And he recognizes this might be the end. I mean, to go and continue in that, that's hard enough as it is. But to have the people that you love, that you've been ministering with, weeping and saying, Paul, don't go, don't go. His response is, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? It's hard enough to continue on this path. I don't need you you guys to try to sway me from it. I don't need you guys to try to keep me from going. I think we see something very important here in Paul's response to this advice from the people he loved. He didn't allow his attachment to these people and what they were telling him to influence him to leave the path God had called him to. I'm sure this was emotional for Paul. I'm sure watching these people he loved weeping and saying, Paul, please don't go and do this was moving and difficult. And earlier on he said, none of these things move me. And I'm sure this was a difficult thing that he had to face. Because he knew God was calling him to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. And yet these group of people that he loves don't want him to go because they don't want to see what's going to happen to him. He's faced with, am I going to allow these feelings and these people move me from what God's called me to do? You know, how often do we allow people to influence us to leave the path God's called us to do? How often do we allow people to influence us to do something that God has clearly called us not to? God says no, and we're around certain people that do it, and they influence us to partake in it. You see, we live in a world where we're constantly being influenced to do things that go against God's word. 
But I found that those who are closest to us have the greatest influence. Those who are closest to us mean the most to us, and therefore their opinion and their influence is the greatest on us. You know, I can be quite honest. You know, people I don't really know, I don't really care what they think. You know, people can say things to me. I don't know them. I'm not close to them. They can say whatever they want. It doesn't really bother me. Their opinion doesn't really matter that much to me. Those who are close to me, on the other hand, what they say does matter. Their opinion does matter. They influence me more. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure probably for you as well. Some stranger on the street could say something, but if your loved one said it, it'd be very different. If it was loving, it would mean more. If it was hateful, it would be more hurtful. But the reality is those who are close to us have a greater influence on us. Something important to understand is the path that God calls us to is often a path that involves difficulty, involves suffering, involves trials. As I've mentioned many times, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So I would say anything that God calls you to, there's going to be an element of difficulty to it. There's going to be an element of trials. There's going to be an element of persecution. Whatever God calls you to, that's going to be something that you're going to face. But you know what? People who are close to you, they don't like to see you go through hardship. They don't like to see you go through difficulty. They don't like to see you go through trials. And so they often advise you not to do things that God has called you to do because they don't want to see you have to deal with that stuff, even though that's not what God's telling you. You know, I personally experienced this, especially when I felt God leading me to start ministries or to leave ministries. You know, when I told people that God was leading me to start a church in Scotland, there were a lot of people that I loved. We said, no, 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 you don't want to go to Scotland. That's so far away. You'll be so far from family. You'll be so far from friends. You know, I hear it's really difficult there, and it's going to be lonely. It's going to be hard. And all those things were true. But yet they thought, well, surely then you shouldn't go. Surely, you know, because of these realities, because you're going to be so far from us family or so far from us friends, you know, just do ministry in California. Do ministry close to everyone. Don't go way over there. They thought they were giving me good advice based on their love for me and desire to be close to me. But in reality, they were advising me to do something that went against what God was clearly leading me to do, which was start a church in Scotland. But you know what? That was easier to resist than after 11 years of pastoring that church, God clearly leading Jenny and I to pass on the church to a Scottish man and move and come alongside of a church in Georgia, Calvary Chapel there. But we had a good group of people that was very against that. God's definitely not calling you to leave us. You know, oh, Scotland is in desperate need of you. We, this church needs you. You know, God's not telling you to leave. You know, and they loved us. And we understood it was coming from a place of love, but it was difficult because we're like, all right, Lord, we know that you're, you're, you're leading us here. And then you have these people who's like, no, God's not leading you to go. You need to stay. And, and you know, once again, they thought they were giving us good advice based on their love for us and their desire for us to stay there in Scotland. But ultimately, they were advising us to do something that went against what God was clearly directing us to do. In the same way, when God called us to start this church here in Pasadena, we encountered the same things. We encountered people saying, you know, you know go back to Europe. You know, you're dual citizens. You've got all these opportunities. Or go to California. You can get back close to your family. Or, or go to Alabama where Jenny's family is. You know, there's all these different mindsets. But, you know, don't go to Texas. Don't go to Pasadena. Uh, and once again, they're, they're trying to be well-meaning and sharing their advice. But at the end of the day, what they were sharing was something that went directly against what God was clearly leading us to do. You know, with all these different situations, I had to recognize these opinions, even though they came from people who love me, were not godly opinions. They were not coming from a place where God was saying, yes, listen to them and abandon what I've called you to do. 
And I had to make a choice. Was I going to listen to them? Or was I going to listen to the Lord? Galatians 1.10, I think, is a good challenging verse for us, especially when we encounter these types of situations. It says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I, first, for if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You know, if you want to please God and serve God, then you have to be careful not to be a man pleaser. You can't be both. And I think there's oftentimes, especially people who are just naturally people pleasers, it's very difficult to be a God pleaser and a man pleaser at the same time because there's many things that God's going to call you to do that people aren't going to like. And for you to be faithful to do what God's called you to do, there are going to be people who aren't going to like it. There are going to be people who advise you that you have to say, no, I'm not going to take that advice because it goes against what God says. And there are going to be people who aren't going to like it. And if you want to please them, then the only way to please them would be to reject what God's called you to do. And you're going to be faced with those circumstances and those situations. You're going to say, you know, what's more important, pleasing God or pleasing them? I faced it many times. I'm sure if you've been walking with the Lord for any given time, you have faced those as well. When I chose to go to Scotland, when I chose to leave Scotland, when I chose to come here, I had to choose to not please some people, not take their advice and I did that because I was confident that God was calling me to all the different places that he led me. Paul is confident in God's calling. Paul is confident God wants him in Jerusalem. Paul's confident God has a ministry for him to share the gospel to the people there. And because he was confident in that, he is able to recognize well-meaning advice isn't from God. You know, something that will greatly benefit your ability to not be swayed is when you're confident where God has you, what God's called you to do, where he wants you. When you're not confident, you're going to be all over the place because you're going to have so many different opinions and you're not sure what God's opinion is. And so this person, maybe that's right. Or this person, maybe that's right. Or this person, and you're going to have people that love you. And they are going to be people that are passionate, maybe even weeping, saying, no, don't do this and do this instead. And well, what am I going to choose? That's where being confident in what the Lord's called you to do is so vital. You know, I'll just say this, the only way you can really be confident in what God's called you to do is if you spend a lot of time with him. Listen to him. You know, people, oh, how do you know God's will? How do you know his voice? Well, you know what, you never spend time with him, you're never going to learn that. You know, people who never spend time with the Lord are always in this place of, I don't really know how to distinguish God's voice from my own. Yeah, that's because you don't spend any time with him. That's because you're not listening to him. The longer you spend time with the Lord, the more you, you understand how he speaks to you. The more you're, you're aware, no, I'm confident this is what God is saying because I spend time with him all the time. He's spoken to me this and this and this situation in my life, and I know that now. But if you neglect that, it's going to be hard for you to determine with confidence where the Lord's leading, what he's doing. If I wasn't confident that God wanted me to minister in Scotland or here in Pasadena, it would have been hard to determine what he wanted with a lot of the advice that was coming my way. But that confidence, it doesn't come overnight. It definitely comes through years of just spending and investing time in your relationship with the Lord. So Paul, he's seeking to please God, not man. He wants to finish the ministry God has given him. And notice what he's ready for. Notice the end of verse 13. For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Everyone keeps telling Paul, don't go because it's going to be horrible. You're going to be bound. You could die. And he's saying, you guys have missed it. 
that's not a reason for me not to go. I'm willing to be bound. I'm willing to die to do what God's called me to do. I'm not going to avoid that because difficulty is coming. I'm willing to face the adversity head on because what's most important to me is fulfilling the ministry God has given me to do, which is to preach the gospel, especially to those in Jerusalem. And I'm going to continue, whether that means being bound, whether that means losing my life. You guys keep advising me not to go to Jerusalem and preach the gospel because of change and tribulation, but that's no reason to not do what God has called me to do. You know, when I spoke with some people in Houston about starting a church here in Pasadena, I had people tell me, you know, the area is poor. You don't want to go because of that. You know, it smells because of refineries. You know, uh, it's predominantly Hispanic. And they just keep giving me all these different things. And as I'm hearing this stuff, I'm just thinking, those are horrible reasons for not to go and continue with what God's called me to do. And then they turn around, oh, you know, you know, uh, different areas, they're much more wealthy, they're this and that. And I'm thinking, you know, really? You know, you're in ministry, and this is the advice that we're getting here? Uh, but it just, you know, for me, it's like, those aren't reasons, like Paul's saying, hey, being bound, losing my life, that's not a reason that's going to stop me. I'm thinking, well, <laughs> the fact that it stinks or it's poor, that's not going to be a reason why I shouldn't start a church in this area. One of the biggest reasons we're not willing to listen to the voice of God over the ungodly advice of man is because we haven't come to this place where Paul did, a place where we're willing to completely give up our life to God's service, a place where we could honestly say, if I would suffer or I would die to fulfill what God has called me to do. You know, when people told me, don't go to Scotland, it's full of difficulties, it's lonely, it's hard, I knew that reality. But it was like, you know what? That's not a reason to not go. That's more reason for people to go because no one wants to go because it's not an appealing place. You know, let's go to, you know, oh, you could go to Hawaii and it'd be so great. Yeah, it would be great. But, you know, ministry in hard places, we need people to go. And I had to tell them, I'm willing to go through whatever I have to to fulfill what God's called me to do. Paul realized it doesn't matter what might happen to me. What matters is being obedient to what God's called me to do. That's what's most important. And that's where he came to that place. And that's where we're faced with, you know, what matters more? What's going to happen to me? You know, what I'm going to go through? You know, it's like, well, Lord, I'll do this ministry if it's convenient, if it's nice, if nothing bad's going to happen. If everything's going to be nice and easy, you know, I'm on board. But no, if it's difficult and hard, you know, you can count me out. Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not about what I'm going to go through. It really comes back to, am I willing to be obedient regardless? Am I willing to say, Lord, you called me, I'll do it. It doesn't matter. Whatever I face, I'm willing to go because ultimately being obedient to you is what's most important. Oswald Chambers, a great Scottish pastor and author, he said this, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. You know, it's not like we go in saying, you know, I just want to suffer in ministry. I just can't wait. It's a reality of, you know what? I'm just wanting to be obedient to God. And I know that sometimes that means suffer. That means following Jesus, and I'm going to have difficulty. I'm going to have hardships. But am I willing to do that? You know, there are many times when God calls a person to do something courageous to do something difficult, to do something that brings trials and tribulation in their life. And there are those of us who care about that person, and we want to protect them. We want to keep them from those difficulties. And so instead of encouraging them in what God's called them to do, we ultimately are a hindrance to what God has called them to do. 
You know what? The group that often brings the greatest heartache to missionaries, in my experience from being one and talking with so many, are not the unsaved people that they're trying to reach. It's family at home that are telling them, why are you going? Don't go. And once they do, constantly giving them guilt trips, come back. Why are you there? Why are you staying? Those are the people that are the biggest heartache. Every missionary I talk to, they at least have one family member that's that thorn in their flesh who's constantly giving them this guilt trip of, why are you here? Get away from here. Come back home. Why are you ministering there? How much longer are you going to be there? This constant, stop doing what God's called you to do mindset. And it's hurtful because you love them and they're constantly bringing this upon you. And it's even worse than trying to deal with the people that you've come ultimately to minister to. I think something important to understand is as hard as it is for us to accept God's will for our lives, sometimes it's even harder for the people who love us. When God calls us to go do something difficult or extreme or go to a mission field or do something else, that's hard for us to accept and hard for us to pursue. But sometimes it's even harder for people who are close to us, for family members especially who love us. And instead of getting behind us and encouraging us in it, it's like, no, 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 God's definitely not called you there. You're not leaving us. You're not going. And I understand where it comes from, but there's got to be a point in time where we say, you know what, Lord, what is your will for this child of mine or this, you know, whatever? You know, what is it that you want? And I'm willing to release them to you. You know, we do baby dedications, which are great. You know, hey, this baby is dedicated to you. I think maybe at the age of 18, we should do another one. Lord, truly, this person is yours. If they decide to go do this, that, or the next thing, I trust them with you. Hudson Taylor, a great missionary to China, had a lot of pressure not to go to China and do what God called him to do, and he said this. It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer his heart. Some of the advice that people give draws you nearer to God. It's good. It's godly. It's biblical. It helps you. Some of the advice people give, it kind of drives a wedge between you and God, between what he's called you to do and what you're now seeking to do. And we have to be able to determine which is which. What advice is truly from the Lord? What advice is not? So all these believers gave Paul their advice, don't go to Jerusalem. But it didn't persuade Paul. And notice what happens here in verse 14. So when Paul could not be persuaded, we ceased trying to persuade him, saying, the will of the Lord be done. Yeah, I think it's interesting. These believers finally come to what I would say is a good place. The will of the Lord be done. You know, it would have been better if you came to that place, the will of the Lord be done, before you started giving advice instead of after. Yeah, and I think that is the, the reality that we need to understand for being advice givers. Ultimately, before we ever open our mouth to give our opinion or our advice, we should be seeking, what is God's will for this person? Not what is my will, not how do I feel, not how does it impact me, not all the selfish things that come into our mind. Ultimately, what is God's will? And if I don't know that, then I should keep silence. If I don't know that, I shouldn't be giving my opinion. I should only be focusing on, Lord, what is your will for this individual? And if you believe that you have that, that God's spoken that, that you have advice in that way, then by all means, share it. But if you don't, then you're just going to bring problems if it's just, you know, based on emotion or feeling and not biblical, not something that's sound. You know, do you have scripture to back up what you're saying? You know, is this truly the will of God for yourself or for the situation that you're giving advice to? I think too often we're more concerned about our own will or someone else's will than God's will being done. And that's why we get led astray so easily. 
It's like, you know, I think for many of us, when we're looking for advice or opinions, we're not really looking for just any biblical advice. We're just looking for someone who's going to agree with us. When I find someone who agrees with me, great, then I feel good about moving forward. What do you think? Oh, that, that's not what I think. You know, no, I'm not going to listen to you. What do you think? No, that's not what I think either. What do you think? Oh, you agree with me? Wonderful. All right, I got another person. Now I feel good about moving forward with it. And so it's not a real genuine, Lord, what are you speaking to me? It's just, I have my will. I want to do it. And I just want someone else to agree with me so I feel better about doing it. And that's so often the way in which we're doing things. And we kind of sometimes surround ourselves with people who will just tell us what we want to hear instead of people who are going to tell us what's biblical, what's right what God wants us to hear. Jesus told us to pray, God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that should be what we ask before listening to advice. And that should be what we ask before giving advice. Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. That's what I want to know for my life and for anyone's life that I'm going to try to speak into. So Paul gets all this advice not to go to Jerusalem because chains and tribulation await him. He doesn't listen to it. He knows God's uh, led him to Jerusalem, and finishing what God has given him is more important than you know, his own life or the opinions of others. And so Paul's going to Jerusalem, and now we're going to see what happens when he gets there, because he does get there. Verse 15, And after those days we packed and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain uh, Masson of Cyprus, uh, an early disciple with whom we t- were to lodge. So Paul's companions, they advise him, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do this. It's going to be horrible for you. Uh, You're going to suffer. Uh, And notice what happens when Paul rejects their advice and goes anyway. They don't say, well, forget you, Paul. You're not going to listen to us? Fine. Go by yourself. Go suffer. You know, just do it. You're not going to pay attention to our advice. Well, forget you, which is so often the way we are. You're not going to listen to me? Well, then you can just go suffer on your own. Notice these people, true friends. Paul doesn't listen to their advice. He rejects their advice. He continues on doing what he feels God's calling him to do, even though they don't agree with it. And Luke tells us, we packed up and went up to Jerusalem with him. They go with him. They know what's coming. They know change and tribulation are there. They know that he's going to be bound. They know the difficulties that are facing him. They know that if they're probably with him, that they might suffer a lot as well. And instead of saying, you know what, you're not listening to us, just go on your own. Or, you know, we're not going to go because we don't want to suffer. No, we're coming with you, Paul. We're going to be there with you. We're going to get in the fight with you and join you in this pursuit that you have. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know, a true friend isn't just there when things go well or when you agree. They're there no matter what. In difficulty, whether it's difficult on them or you, whether you agree with them, whether you disagree, true friends are there when you need them. True friends are there all the time. No matter what people are going through, whether or not they've taken your advice, you should be there for them. Well, let's see what happens when they get to Jerusalem, verse 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul comes, he gets to see James, who's the pastor there at the Church of Jerusalem, the, the elders there. So the, the leadership in Jerusalem, they, Paul shares, hey, look at what the Lord's been doing in these missionary journeys that I've been doing. And, and they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing over the work that God has done through these different countries that Paul has been able to share the gospel and plant churches and see people's lives transformed. But the leaders in the church revealed, you know what, there's a problem here, Paul. Problem here in Jerusalem, specifically with you 
Verse 20 tells us what that problem is. You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they're all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. So while Paul's been ministering to Gentiles on his different missionary journeys, you know, there are certain Jews who have been saying, hey, Paul is going to these Gentiles. He's telling them, hey, you know what? Forsake Moses, forsake the law, forsake Jewish customs. You know, that's what he's doing. He's just going there and, and telling everybody that's what you're supposed to do, which was completely untrue. That's not what Paul taught at all. He did say these things don't save you, but he wasn't against Jewish customs. He participated in them himself. You know, and so they were uh, just completely wrong on this issue. You know, two friends, Frank and Billy, were walking through the woods and came upon a set of tracks. Frank, he said they were deer tracks. Billy said, no, 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 these are moose tracks. And they keep arguing back and forth. And as they continue to argue, the train hit them. For those of you who don't get it, they were train tracks. But sometimes... People think that they're so right on a certain issue when they're completely wrong. And they will advise you and they will think, oh, you know, this is what you should do. This is completely right. When in all reality, it's not. And we needed to discern from that. Like these people who are claiming Paul taught things that he didn't. Paul never taught those things. Well, the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, I think they understood that. They say, you know what, Paul? We realize that's true. But the people here still don't believe that. So here's some advice that we want to give to you to help. Bridge the gap with these people who believe that you do teach, hey, abandon the law, abandon Moses, abandon the traditions. Here's something that we advise of you if you want to help bridge this gap with this group. Verse 23. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads and that they all may know that those things of which they are informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourselves also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. So the advice that these leaders give to Paul is say, hey, you know, we got four guys. They're making this vow there in the temple. Why don't you pay for that? Why don't you participate in that? Why don't you, you know, come with them, pay for them to do that? And you know what that's going to demonstrate? That's going to demonstrate to these Jews who are claiming, oh, you don't care about the law, you don't care about these traditions, you don't care about this stuff. It's going to show them that's not true. Look, I'm paying for these guys, I'm a part of this, I, I still think that these traditions and some of the stuff that we do is fine and good. And so, but notice Paul's response, because he's not guilty. He hasn't been teaching this. He can just say, you know what, I'm not teaching that stuff, that's just a lie. You know, forget it. I'm not doing any of this. I don't need to go do this. I'm not guilty of anything. But notice what he does. He accepts this advice because he sees it's in line with what God has called him to do, which is to preach the gospel to these Jews in Jerusalem. He realizes, you know what? If this is going to be a hindrance to me reaching these Jews here in Jerusalem with the gospel, I'm more than willing to take these four men and pay for them and do this. If that's going to open up more doors to these guys who think, Paul, you're totally against this stuff. We don't want to hear anything you have to say. To the Jews, I become a Jew to win Jews, Paul says. You know, he's willing to do this because his heart is, you know what, this is in line with what God's called me. God's called me to reach these people with the gospel, and if this is going to help me to do it, I'm fine. I'm willing to lay aside things that I might not normally feel compelled to do. I'm willing to do this to fulfill the calling that God has given to me. So notice this. He rejects the advice to go against God's calling, which is don't go to Jerusalem, but he accepts the advice, which is, you know what, 
pay for these guys to do this, which will enable you to more effectively reach people in Jerusalem. And it just shows Paul's heart. He realizes, I know what I'm called to, and I know what God's speaking to me to do. I'm going to accept this because it's going to help me reach the people that God has ultimately called me to reach. I think this is a great challenge for all of us. If the advice that we receive from others is biblical, godly, goes with what God has called you to do, then you should accept it. You should follow it. You should do it. And that can be hard for us because sometimes we hear the advice that we don't want to hear. Get out of that relationship. Stop doing that sinful thing. You know, don't pursue that. And God's clearly speaking through someone to us. And we're like, well, I want to continue in that relationship. I like living this way or I want to do this. And so we reject it. When God speaks clearly, it's biblical. It's godly. He's speaking through someone to us. We need to respond with obedience and actually do it. But on the other side of it, when someone is sharing something that's not biblical, that's not godly, that goes against what God's called you to do, you have to discern and say, you know what, I'm not going to follow that because it goes against what God is telling me to do. Now, the difficulty with this challenge is in being able to determine what's from God and what's not. And we can spend a lot of time looking at it, but you know what, it really comes down to something very simple. God never contradicts his word. You want to come back and find out what someone's saying, is it really from God or not, always bring it back to the word of God and say, hey, does this contradict God's word or not? If it does, it's not biblical. If it does, don't do it. But if it's in God's word, in context, you know, then, hey, this is something that definitely the Lord could be speaking to me. The challenge for us is to know what the Bible has to say concerning these different areas of life. Because we're bombarded with information and opinions from people. But if we don't know what the Bible says about this area or that area, it's easy to fall into the temptation to say, well, maybe they're right or maybe they're right. Well, what does the Bible say? I'm not sure. Well, that's because you're not studying it. That's because you're not reading it. That's because you're not in it like you should be. And so, you know, none of us should ultimately be guilty if we've been walking with the Lord for a good period of time. Now, obviously, if you've only been saved for a little bit, you're only going to have time to study a little bit. But if you've been saved five, ten years and you still don't know the Bible, guess what? You haven't been investing the time you should have been in God's Word. And that's something that needs to change because at the end of the day, there's one simple way to change that in your life. Study the Bible every day. The best way not to be ignorant of the Bible is study it. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. It's just spending time praying, Lord, you can give me the understanding I need to understand these truths, and I'm going to give you the time to invest in it on a regular basis. So if you want to know what God is leading you to do versus what man's opinion is telling you to do, regularly study God's word and pray for his wisdom and guidance.